Good morning, dear Sangha. Welcome to the third, the, the fourth week of uh, our four retreat. Today is uh, the 28th of October 2012. We are in the Stillwater Meditation Hall of the Upper Hamlet, Plum Village. And uh, we are all invited to attend our ordination ceremony of uh, 15 new novice monks and nuns on the 5th of uh, November. There will be uh, 15 young men and women that will be ordained as uh, novice monks and nuns. And they belong to a family of monastics called uh, um, Honisako family. And the youngest one is only 13. And she practices so well. She's like an angel. And her presence in the monastic Sangha will be, uh, uh, will uh, help um, bring a lot of uh, freshness and uh, beauty uh, to the Sangha life. The, the ordination ceremony, ceremony will be uh, online to our practice center in Thailand. And many of uh, uh, the ordinees have their parents uh, come and support uh, their ordination. Last week we spoke about uh, a kind of uh, nutriment called uh, volition. That is uh, an intention, a deep desire that we have in ourselves. We we need a deep, strong intention in order to be able to realize what we want to realize. And that is um, a kind of uh, nutriment, a kind of food. And those who want to become uh, a monastic, they should also have that kind of deep, uh, strong intention the intention to to wake up, to transform the suffering in themselves in order to help uh, transform the suffering in many other people around them. And that intention should be strong enough in order for them to succeed. We have learned that uh, joy and suffering, they interact joy, uh, happiness, and suffering, they enter our. And it's very important to uh, recognize the suffering within ourselves so that we can uh, get in touch and uh, look deeply into the nature of our suffering. Because understanding our suffering is uh, very crucial for transformation and healing. If we try to run away from our suffering, we have no chance. And many of us try to do that, running away from our own suffering. Because we believe that to be in touch with the suffering inside is not um, pleasant. 
we risk uh, being overwhelmed by the suffering inside. So many of us uh, do not like to do that. Running away, trying to cover up the suffering, pretend that it is not there. That's our way, our policy. But the Buddha advised us to do the opposite. We have to learn the practice of mindfulness, mindfulness of breathing, of walking, so that we have a kind of energy that can help us go home to ourselves without fear. Without the fear of being overwhelmed by the suffering inside. We need to practice three, four, five days in order to have enough of that uh, energy of mindfulness, in order to go home to ourselves without fear. And with that energy of mindfulness, we can recognize the suffering inside, and we can embrace it tenderly, like a mother embracing her baby, and look deeply into the nature of that suffering. That will bring relief and that help us to understand the roots, the nature of the suffering inside. This is a very basic practice. Because the suffering inside of us carries within itself the suffering of our father, our mother, our ancestors. Our father, our mother may not have been able to transform their own suffering, so they transmit their suffering to us. It's kind of heritage. And that is why when we have understood our own suffering, it's easy to understand the suffering of our parents, our ancestors. And it is also easier to understand the suffering of the other person, our partner, our friend, and the suffering of the world. And that is why the practice of going home in order to touch the suffering and to embrace it and to look deeply into its nature is very crucial. And we know that without the energy of mindfulness, we will not be strong enough to do so. So the daily practice of mindful walking, mindful sitting, mindful breathing is very important. When you cook your breakfast, you can cook your breakfast in such a way that every moment of breakfast making can generate the energy of mindfulness. You stop all your thinking, you just pay attention to everything you do, uh, and everything you do in mindfulness generates the energy of mindfulness. And you live in mindfulness, you live in the present moment. And you may enjoy also. Uh, making tea, making coffee, uh, preparing some uh, toast, you can do in mindfulness. Uh, you may follow your in-breath and out-breath and enjoy uh, your in-breath and out-breath and enjoy whatever you are doing. Mm. Opening the water faucet, uh, you do it mindfully. And when you see the water running from the water faucet, you smile to it mindfully. You are aware that uh, water deep from the earth, water high from the mountain have come to your kitchen. And with mindfulness like that, you can appreciate. You can get in touch with the wonders of life that are present. So joy and peace, joy and happiness are possible with the practice of mindfulness. So cooking your breakfast with mindfulness 
can help you stop the thinking. You think about the past, you think about the future, you think about everything, and you are doing like a machine, cooking, uh, pouring the water like a machine. So stop your thinking, you begin to be truly in the here and the now, and enjoy every in-breath, every out-breath, every moment of your breakfast uh, making. It can be very pleasant. And we have to train ourselves to do that. And when we, uh, we wash our dishes, we can do the same. When we wash our, our, um, our clothes, we can do the same. When we mop the floor, we can do the same. And every moment can be a moment of joy, if it is a moment of happiness. And we learn that mindfulness is a source of joy. Because mindfulness helps us to be fully present in the here and the now, so that we can touch the wonders of life that are available. And that is why joy and happiness are always possible with a good practitioner. That intention, that deep intention, that deep desire to practice is very important. That should be strong enough, powerful enough in order to to keep us uh, on a path to continue. Uh, Siddhartha Gautama did have that kind of intention. So although the way of practice was hard, but he never gave up. And finally he realized uh, his, uh, his wish, <coughs> transformed his suffering, and was able to help many people, including us. So that is called uh, the, the mind of uh, the mind of enlightenment, the mind of understanding, the mind of love. And if the, it is uh, bodhicitta, the mind of enlightenment, the mind of understanding, the mind of love, it gives you a lot of energy. Bhavana is the word. Uh, in Pali, in Sanskrit, it means uh, the practice. In Chinese, we would uh, translate by tu, tutap. Tutap. Uh, we can, the meaning of bhavana is to cultivate, like you cultivate the corn or the sunflower or the beans or the wheat, you cultivate, you produce. It's not there, you produce it. That is uh, understanding, compassion, happiness. You have to produce them. You have to cultivate them. And uh, you have uh, the land, the garden. That is your mind. And you have the seeds. You have the seed of wisdom, of understanding, of compassion, of joy in yourself. So you have the land, you have the seed, and you have the water, the practice, the diligence in order to help these seeds to sprout 
and to grow up and to bring forth uh, flowers and fruits. So bhavana means to cultivate. The Buddha said, there is one thing. Uh, uh, if uh, left uh, uncultivated, will bring a lot of suffering. There is one thing, if well cultivated, will bring a lot of happiness. What is that something? Your mind. So cultivating is cultivating your mind. Your mind as the land, and you have the good seeds. Don't allow the bad seeds to sprout and to, uh, and to occupy the land. Uh, practice uh, uh, the culture. Uh, cultivate only the good, the good, good things. Practice uh, compassion, joy, non-discrimination, hope, and so on. And uh, we can uh, translate uh, bhavana as uh, practice. And uh, when you park your car in the parking lot, you walk to your office, you can practice. You walk in such a way that each step can bring you joy and happiness. Instead of allow, allowing your mind to think of this and that, to worry, to be fearful, you just focus your attention on your in-breath, now breath And then you touch the earth mindfully with your steps. And every step can can generate the energy of mindfulness, the energy of joy, the energy of happiness. And that is what we can do walking from the parking lot to our our workplace. Stop the thinking, begin to be alive. Because mindfulness is energy that can bring your mind home to your body. And with uh, your mind and body together, you are establishing the here and the now. Here and the now is the only place where life is real. And if you allow your mind to be caught in the past or in the future, you are not truly alive. You, are, you have to free yourself from the past and for the future. And breathing in mindfully, that is enough for you to get the freedom that you need. Uh, making a step mindfully is good enough to free yourself from the past and the future. That is the power of mindfulness. Power of mindfulness has the power to liberate you. So from the parking lot, you walk to the workplace, your workplace in such a way that every step is enjoyable. Each step can be nourishing. Every step can be uh, healing. Don't waste your steps. Put the energy of mindfulness into your feet and produce uh, a mindful steps. Mindfulness goes always with concentration and insight. 
concentration is always concentration about something, mindfulness also. You are mindful of your step. You are concentrated on your step. You walk as if you, you kiss the earth with your feet. And kissing Mother Earth like that, and touching the wonders of life, you heal yourself, and you heal the earth. And if you can do that, because you have the energy of mindfulness and concentration in you, otherwise you walk like a machine, otherwise you walk like a sleepwalker. And if you walk like that, you can heal yourself, you can nourish yourself. You don't have to, to put aside some time to do meditation. Because you need to walk from your parking lot to your office anyway and transform the walk into a meditation session. Here in Brahma Village, every day we walk together that way. And we inherit from the collective energy of mindfulness. And while walking with other people, allow the collective energy to transport you so that you can make uh, happy steps, mindful steps, healing steps. And when you walk alone from, uh, from your living quarter to the meditation hall, also enjoy every step. That is the style, the only style of walking here. When you walk, you don't think. If you think, and then you ruin uh, your walk. When the thinking settles in, you lose. So don't think. Stop the thinking by focusing your attention only on your in-breath, on your out-breath, and on your steps. And don't force yourself to do so, because doing so can be something very pleasant, very nourishing. You don't have to practice, you enjoy the practice. Suppose you are standing there with a group of people looking at the beautiful sunrise. Do you have to push yourself, to, 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 to force yourself to enjoy the beautiful sunshine, or sunrise? No? The scenery is very beautiful. You need only to be fully present in order to enjoy. If you allow yourself to be occupied by your thinking, by the past, by your, the future, by your worries, and then the beautiful sunrise is not for you. It's for everyone else, but not for you. So mindfulness is the only condition that can help you enjoy the beautiful sunrise. But in us and around us, there are so many things like the beautiful sunrise, and you miss them all because you allow thinking to settle and take you away from the here and the now. So this is a training. And you get the habit of being mindful, of being happy. So happiness is habit. And living with uh, a group of people, who practices like that, and then you can inherit from the, from the collective energy generated by the group. And it's why every in-breath can be mindful, 
every step you make can be mindful. And when you eat breakfast with the Sangha, you also inherit a profit from that collective energy of mindfulness. Allow yourself to be transported by the collective energy of the Sangha. It's like a drop of water allowing herself to be embraced and transported by the whole river. Be a river and not a drop of water. So practicing with the Sangha is, uh, is, uh, um, is easy because you can, you, can, you can profit from the collective energy. Even if you know very well the practice, you still need a Sangha because a Sangha can provide you with the collective energy. And after you, you, you leave Plum Village or a retreat, you go home, and you can try to make your family into a Sangha. Your partner, your brother, your son, your daughter, you can make him or her into uh, a co-practitioner. And the best way to do is uh, to practice well so that you are uh, relaxed, happy. And the other person one day will ask you, how can you do that? <laughs> and you share, can share with him, with her, uh, your practice. This is a, a spiritual practice. Every one of us needs a spiritual practice, bhavana. Because in our daily life, we encounter difficulties, obstacles, suffering. And if we don't have a practice, we cannot overcome. We cannot uh, face the difficulties. Suppose anger is coming up, and if you don't know how to handle anger, and then you can, you can cause suffering to you and to the other person, even a person that you love. So all of us need a spiritual dimension in our daily life. That is bhavana, that is the practice. And if you have a strong practice, a solid practice, you are no longer afraid. Whenever you go, the practice is with you. And if you encounter some difficulties, some obstacles, and then you know how to how to deal with it. You know how to handle a painful feeling in you. You know how to handle a strong emotion in you. You know how to help the other person to come down, to handle an emotion in her, in him. You know how to use uh, the skill of uh, deep listening, compassionate listening, in order to help the other person to empty his heart and to suffer less. You can know, you know how to use a loving speech 
in order to help uh, uh, the other person to understand, to understand himself, to understand herself, to understand his own suffering, her own suffering. So all of that belong to a practice. And when we come to a retreat, uh, our purpose is to learn and to get a practice, uh, a spiritual practice, so that uh, when we go home, we'll be able to handle uh, difficult situations. So everything we do in a, in a practice center uh, at a retreat is to learn how to practice, how to breathe, to breathe in such a way that you can calm your body, release the tension in your body. There are those of us who can only come to one day of mindfulness. We only have uh, one day of practice. And that is why in that day of mindfulness, you have to learn how to breathe, how to allow the stress, attention in our body to be released. And if you have a retreat of seven days, you have more chance to master the practice. You have to learn to breathe in order to release the tension in our body. You have to learn to breathe in such a way that you can bring our mind home to our body and touch the wonders of life in the here and the now. We have to learn to breathe in such a way that we can recognize a painful feeling, a feeling of anger, a feeling of uh, sorrow, and to calm it down. We have to learn to breathe in order to, 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 bring, to bring about a feeling of joy, a feeling of happiness, and to help the other person to recognize, to, 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 to generate a feeling of the energy of joy and of happiness also. Uh, we learn to eat in such a way that uh, joy, happiness, and freedom become possible during the whole time of eating. Uh, we learn how to brush our teeth so that the few minutes of toothbrushing can be a moment of joy also. We don't try to do quickly in order to finish uh, it uh, as soon as possible, but we enjoy everything. And if we have a difficult relationship, and then during that time, we should be we should learn how to how to how to improve the quality of our relationship with the other person. We have to learn to listen to our own suffering. 
so that you can listen to the suffering of the other person. We have to learn to be kind to us, to talk kindly to us, so that we can talk kindly to the other person. It is possible because when you see the suffering in someone, you see that the suffering, that person is victim of his own suffering. You are not angry at him or her anymore. <coughs> so recognizing suffering is very important. That is one thing to learn. Usually we blame the other person as being the source of our suffering. But we ignore the fact that uh, we have suffering in ourselves. And our suffering has made us suffer and make the other person suffer also. We are co-responsible for the difficulties in our relationship. And if we know how to listen to our own suffering and understand understanding it, and then we can listen to the other person and see the suffering in him or in her. And when, when we are able to see the suffering in that person, we, don't, we are not angry at him or at her anymore. And we can begin to look at that person with compassion. That is our transformation. You want to do something or say something to help that person to suffer less. This is always possible. So all of that belongs to the practice. And that is why why we are in the retreat. We should make good use of our time and master this kind of practice. Do not spend our time thinking, talking, just uh, learning how to to master these techniques. And then the second thing you need is to is to create a group of people at home so that you can maintain the practice alive. You can continue the practice. Many of us who come to a retreat and got the transformation and healing, but when we are about to go home, we are a little bit <coughs> afraid because the situation, the atmosphere at home is not conducive to transformation and healing. And we risk losing what we have attained during the retreat. And that is why usually on the last day of our retreat, we have a discussion about Sangha building so that when we go home, we can set up a group of people with whom we practice in order to maintain our practice alive and to have a, a Sangha to take refuge in. And we can invite friends in the neighborhood, people who are in the same kind of profession. Suppose you are a psychotherapist, and then you would like to organize a group of psychotherapists to meet regularly, to practice together, to support each other. And if you are a physician, you can set up a group of, uh, of physicians and you share about the suffering uh, and 
the practice uh, to deal with the suffering and support each other and all of us need uh, a Sangha at home in order to continue with the practice. If you are a school teacher and then you need a group of school teachers to come together every week to do sitting meditation, walking meditation, uh, mindful uh, lunch, mindful eating, mindful walking, and so on. And we can share uh, our practice as how to, uh, to, to make the teaching uh, in your school uh, more pleasant and how to help uh, the students in the class to suffer less. But before you set up that group, uh, you have to, to take care of yourself and your partner in your family, people in your family. Your family is the immediate uh, environment. When you go home, you bring your practice home and, and indirectly you show the people in your family that this practice has brought you uh, much uh, peace, contentment and joy by the way you, you look, by the way you listen, by the way you talk, by the way you walk and you do things. And uh, because you have understood your suffering, you can look deeply and in order to understand the suffering of your partner, of those who live in your family, who are in a family. And if your family, uh, if uh, the quality of life in your family improved, and then you have the first uh, support. And with that, you can set up a group of people in your neighborhood in order to continue. This is, is very necessary. So first of all, you, get, you should get a practice. Second, you have to create a Sangha to maintain your practice alive and to grow in your practice. And that is uh, true with everyone. Where whatever you are, a physician, a psychotherapist, uh, a school teacher, and so on. So the, the, the process is like this. This is yourself. And the first is that you go back to yourself. Not to go to another person, but you go back to yourself. Learn to go back to yourself with the practice of mindful breathing, mindful walking. Go back to yourself. You know how to calm your body to calm your feelings, and so on. And you suffer less with that practice. The practice of mindful breathing, mindful walking, mindful sitting will help you. 
you touch the suffering inside, you look deeply into your suffering, you understand your suffering, and you suffer less. This is the first step, going back to ourselves. And then when you have realized some transformation and healing, and then the next step is to go to your partner. <coughs> Not before. You go to partner only, to the other person only, after you have gone to yourself. Because you have got experiences. You have realized some peace, some reconciliation with yourself, some wisdom, some happiness. Now you can go to him or to her in order to help him or her do so. You become a supporter and you will become a co-practitioner with him or her. So you help her to do the same, helping her to go to herself. And because you have done it, that is why it's easier for, for you to help another person to do it. That may be your son, your daughter, your father, and so on. In California, we have organized uh, retreats for young people. And many young people, after having succeeded in their practice, they go home and they help their parents. And they invite their parents to come to the next retreat. (laughs) So you know how to listen with compassion, how to use loving speech, so you can approach the other person. The person you live with in your daily life. One person, two people, and so on. Help them to do the same. And after that, after that, you set up a group a sangha. And in that group of people, people also do the same thing, go back to themselves and help other people. And this is a group, uh, if suppose you are a school teacher, and then after having reconciled and built a practice for your family, and then you are a base in order to build a community, a sangha of school teachers. And you meet every week also, uh, you practice together, continue the practice to nourish yourself, transform yourself. And then uh, each of, uh, each of, uh, uh, of the school teachers will be able to to bring it to, to your workplace. In, in, the, in your workplace, many people suffer. You are a doctor. You go to the hospital where you work with other doctors. You see other doctors suffer. But you have practice with yourself. You have practice with your family. You have practice with your Sangha doctors. Now go to, to your workplace. You can now uh, continue to practice 
and help the people in your workplace to suffer less. If you are a school teacher, then you begin with yourself, you begin with your family, and you begin with your local Sangha. And when you have uh, these uh, base, basis, uh, base of practice, you can bring it to, to your school. And you can offer the practice to other teachers in your school, and you can offer the practice to the students in your class. And you will succeed. With them, there's a lot of suffering in your workplace. There's a lot of stress, a lot of uh, anger, love or despair in your workplace. And if you don't know how to take good care of you, uh, the collective energy will, uh, the negative collective energy will destroy you. And that is why you have to got your personal practice, your Sangha practice in order to protect you. And when you are well protected, you can engage yourself in the work, in the work of helping uh, your colleagues. So the same thing is true with a school teacher. She practices with herself, she practices with her family, and she practices with her local Sangha. And then now, she knows that it's the time that she can go uh, to help uh, uh, students in her class and also other teachers in the same school. Because we have, she has already some peace, so reconciliation, uh, experiences of the practice, enough joy, enough uh, energy in order to do so. Maybe, maybe the first thing a school teacher should do is... Uh, to, to, to help uh, the students in her class to suffer less. Because although they are still very young, but they may have, they, they may be suffering deeply already. So we should suppose this is a, 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 a class of 20 or 30 uh, students. And if uh, there, are so, uh, there are so many children who suffer deeply, and then the teacher will be affected by the suffering of the children, of the students. If the teacher is well protected by her practice, and then she will be less vulnerable, and she will, instead of allow himself, herself to be affected by the suffering of uh, the uh, students, she can bring the practice and help the students uh, to suffer less. She has no peace now. She has more peace now. She has more patience now. She has more compassion now. She has understood her own suffering, the suffering of her own uh, uh, children. And that is why when she comes to the school and she looks, she can see much more easily the suffering in every young man and woman in the class. And uh, she suffers less now, even if they are still violent uh, or difficult to handle, but she suffers less because she is able to see the suffering in them. She sees she see that uh, 
these young people, they are victims of their own suffering and the victims of suffering of their father and mother. So stepping into the class, she looked with the eyes of compassion. She is not angry anymore. She is protected by the energy of compassion. She now, she is now a bodhisattva, engaged into the work to transform the whole class. Compassion is a kind of energy that can protect you from despair, from anger. That person is still violent, that person is still difficult to handle. And yet you have compassion, and that is why you don't suffer. And you have the intention to help that young person to transform. Because compassion is born from understanding. Compassion and love are very healing. And how can we produce compassion and love? Uh, according to the teaching of the Buddha, it's very clear. Understanding suffering that will bring compassion and love. How can we love a person when you, 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 you do not understand his suffering and difficulties? You might have the intention to love, yes. But the more you love, the more you make him or her suffer. Because you have not, understand, have not understood the suffering in him or in her. So, understanding, first of all, is understanding of suffering. Of the difficulties in the other person. And understanding is love is compassion. When you have understood, you have already love in yourself. When you have understood your own suffering, you begin to accept yourself and you love yourself. Before that, you are conflict with your own self. Because suffering in us demands to be understood, demands to be listened to, but you always refuse to listen to your own suffering. And that's why there is a conflict between you and you. And with the conflict inside, how can you solve the conflict between you and another person? That is why the first thing is to go home to yourself and reconcile with yourself. Listen to your own suffering. And listen to your own suffering, bring about understanding of suffering. Understanding of suffering release you from your anger, your fear. You accept yourself. And you begin to accept your father, your mother, accept the other person. Understanding your own uh, suffering make it easier for you to understand the suffering in the other person. And when you have seen the suffering in him or in her, you are not angry at him or her anymore. So when the teacher go to her class, she saw the suffering students, but she is not angry, ang- angry at them anymore because she has seen the suffering in them. And the way she looked at her students make her 
suffer less and make the students suffer less. She does not look at them at, uh, with the eyes of uh, blame, uh, challenge, or uh, anger anymore. She does not suffer. She, she does not suffer anymore when she steps into her class. And her way of speaking, the way of speaking of that uh, school teacher, make the people in the class suffer less. She is not blaming. She has no intention to punish. She has the intention to listen and to understand. She's kind of saying like this, uh, my dear young friends, I know you have suffered a lot. You have suffered in your family. You have a long history of suffering, uh, even if uh, you are still very young. I understand that, so we should uh, help each other. I do have suffering also. And I want you to help me to suffer less also. The school teacher can, can have that attitude in her mind. And I think one of the things that school teachers have to do is to sit and listen to the suffering of her students. Uh, sessions of compassionate listening should be organized so that students can listen to each other and students can listen to their teacher, and teachers can listen to the suffering of students. If you are a teacher, school teacher, if you are a minister of education, please listen. This is very important, because with a lot of suffering in, just, in themselves, the student cannot learn. You cannot just <laughs> uh, force them to, 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 to receive uh, Knowledge. They have no, no attention. They have no capacity to receive what you want to transmit. And that is why this kind of practice uh, does, not, uh, 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 does not take away the time from the studies and teachings. This kind of practice helps the teaching and the studies to become easier, more pleasant for you as school teachers, and more pleasant for them uh, as students. Imagine a school teacher sitting with uh, his class, and he, he said, I am very eager to, to listen to your suffering. I know that with a lot of suffering, we cannot learn easily. I understand if you, uh, if you fail in your, in, in your homework and so on. I don't blame you, but uh, I know that uh, there's a story behind. If you cannot work, you cannot succeed in your studies, there may be some, some difficulties. Uh, I myself have suffered, and I have come through that, and I have learned a lot. I want to listen, and we have to listen to each other. And each uh, young person in the class will have a story to tell. Maybe the class is the only place where the young person can tell his or her story. If uh, the teacher and other know how to listen, and we recognize that our story is very much the same story with the other person, we have suffered very much of the same kind of thing.
when our father and mother fight and make each other suffer, we suffer. So your suffering is very much like my suffering. Family should be a place where the child can learn how to understand, how to love. And if parents do not know how to to, to take care of each other, to love each other, and then students have no, no chance to learn. And the suffering of the parents are transmitted to students. And later on, when they become parents, they will repeat the same kind of behavior. That is what we call samsara, reincarnation, <laughs> birth and death, birth and death. And that's a road through many generations. And if you are a school teacher with the practice, you can end the circle of samsara. You can help the student, your students, stop and uh, breathing in. I see myself as a five-year-old child. Breathing out, I smile to that child in me. She is still alive. That is a wounded child. That wounded little child in us is always alive. But we are so busy, we do not have the time to go back and listen to him or to her. So in sitting meditation, we breathe and we go back. Dear little one, I am your adult self. I am back to listen to you. Please tell me of your suffering. And that is a session of meditation. And you can, you can give the, 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 the students a session of guided meditation. You have listened to the, the wounded child in yourself. So now you can listen to the wounded child in them. <coughs> Although they are 12, 14, but they have suffered also a, a lot. So if you are a real listener, a listener uh, with a lot of compassion, you are the Bodhisattva Avalokita. The, the Bodhisattva of uh, compassionate listening. You listening to your students. And you know that if you listen like that, they suffer less. And you, you listen and you tell other students, listen to him or to her. And this is uh, one of the first things you can do in your class. Understanding uh, the suffering of your students, you don't suffer anymore and they will suffer less. They feel that they are understood. And then uh, you can tell them without fear that you have suffered also. And if uh, your students uh, know your suffering, they will make it, uh, make uh, uh, your life uh, difficult again. Because many, many school teachers suffer deeply because of their students. The life of school teachers is difficult because the, student, the students uh, suffer and they make the life of the school teacher uh, difficult, unbearable. 
So it is very important that teachers and students sit and breathe and listen to the suffering of one of them. And then uh, this uh, can, be, can, bring, uh, can, can, can bring a relief. We can transform the atmosphere in the class and uh, the students will have the chance to listen to the suffering of the teacher. And when they have understood the suffering of the teacher, and then they will, they will not do, say the things that can make the teaching difficult, uh, uh, even in, impossible for the school teachers. And uh, we have organized uh, retreats, mindfulness retreats for children. And we know we can do it. The, the, the children get transformation and hearing. They are not angry at their father anymore, their mother anymore. They go home and help. They have understood the suffering of their father and their mother. Breathing in, I smile with compassion to the wounded child in me. And so you hold the hand of your wounded child in yourself, and you reconcile. And then you go to the next uh, step, breathing in. I see my father as a five-year-old boy. And he is in me, in every cell of my body. Breathing out, I see my father as a wounded child. Usually, we do not see our father as a victim of suffering. We see him only as the maker of suffering and not a victim of suffering. But our father may have been a wounded child and he could not heal that wound in himself and he transmitted it to you. And when you have seen the suffering of your father as a wounded child, you can breathe out and you can look at your father as a wounded child with compassion. Breathing in, I see my father as a wounded five-year-old boy. Breathing out, I smile with compassion to him. And the healing process begins. Breathing in, I see my mother as a five-year-old wounded, vulnerable, fragile. Breathing out, I smile to my mother as a five-year-old wounded, fragile, vulnerable. And during that time, you breathe in and out. You heal. You see the suffering of your mother and reconciliation takes place in here. And once reconciliation takes place in you, reconciliation with your mother outside becomes very easy. So all of that the school teachers can master. And sessions of deep listening, compassionate listening can be organized in a classroom. And then transformation and healing will take place and the work of teaching and learning become much more, much easier and much more pleasant. There is a school teacher in Canada, in 
Toronto who came to Plum Village and practiced. And he got a lot of transformation and healing. He was very angry. He had been very angry, even at uh, his uh, students. He's a very excellent uh, uh, professor of mathematics. So the day he came back to her class, to his class, he walked mindfully into his classroom. And that was very strange to his students. And then he, 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 he he's uh, doing like this mindfully on, on, on the board, breathing in, breathing out mindfully, and that makes uh, his students uh, very uh, sounds, it looks strange. And they ask him, are you sick, teacher? Ask who said my lad? No, I'm not sick. I'm practicing mindfulness. <laughs> <laughs> and he talked about practice mindfulness that can help uh, release the tension and, and, and listen to the suffering and so on. So he talked in a very pleasant way. And the students uh, listened with, with uh, pleasure. And he, 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 he said that uh, we don't have a bell here. Because in Plum Village, they use uh, the bell of mindfulness. Every time you hear the bell, we stop thinking. And we just enjoy breathing in and out and relax. And I want you to try that. Because relaxation helps us to, to learn more easily and to teach more easily. Shall we try? And then he advised, he proposed that one boy in the front row, uh, every 15 minutes, stop and clap his hand two times. And the whole class will stop learning, teaching, and enjoy breathing in and out. The bell of mindfulness. That, um, Henry had been very angry before. He's a very good uh, professor of mathematics, but when he's angry, he's able to, to, to hold a piece of, of, uh, of shock and uh, launch to the, the student uh, whom he thinks to be stupid and so on. Uh, and after that, uh, after coming back to Plum Place, there was one time he's, he, he, he correct the homework and he said, you do not understand. It's my fault. <laughs> It's because I have not uh, tried my best to help you to un- understand. So the whole class is transformed. And they make a good uh, progress so that uh, many other classes uh, uh, begin to adopt the same kind of practice, mindfulness in their class, and make the same kind of progress. And he, he come to the age to retire. They ask him to go on for a few more years with the school. So all, all Dharma teach, um, school teachers can do the same after having practice with themselves, with their family, themselves, their family, their local Sangha. They begin to engage in the workplace and help uh, the students and other school teachers. And of course, uh, the class 
should do the same thing. Each person should do the same thing. The class should go back to herself in order to understand the suffering, the collective suffering. And I think uh, this kind of meditation, this kind of uh, practice of listening deeply with compassion to each other will bring relief and make the whole class suffer less. It's my conviction that it's not a, uh, taking away the time to teach and to learn, but this allows us to teach and to learn much more uh, uh, effectively. And of course, uh, when this class, uh, uh, this class uh, uh, is successful in transformation and healing, and then this class can go and help uh, other class. Like in the case of uh, Professor Henry. He was a Dharma teacher of Plum Village. Uh, a lay Dharma teacher of Plum Village. He is no longer alive, but he left behind uh, his stories in a little book as how he practiced and he transformed and helped transform his students. This practice of mindfulness uh, does not require us to believe in a God, a particular uh, religion. Because mindfulness is a kind of energy that everyone has. Everyone has a seat of mindfulness. Everyone is capable of drinking uh, her tea mindfully and enjoy drinking her tea mindfully. Everyone is capable of enjoying uh, walking uh, in mindfulness and getting in touch with the wonders of life that are available. So mindfulness uh, is not a religion. Mindfulness can be, can be brought into school, into the workplace, and so on. We already have offered retreats of mindfulness to peace workers, to uh, uh, police officers, to uh, politicians, to businessmen, to school teachers, and so on. And then the, the subject and the training can be can be summarized like this, can be brought to, uh, to the workplace, to the classroom, um, to the community, and so on. First of all, we have to learn how to breathe, to walk, in order to release the tension in the body. So a practitioner should be able to release the tension in his body. 
where a while sitting on the bus, driving the car, uh, 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 taking a shower. It is always possible to allow the tension to be released and to enjoy whatever you are doing, what you are doing. You need some training in order to get the habit of being mindful, of being happy. Happiness, again, is a habit. And uh, a good practitioner should be able to lead a session of deep relaxation in her own family. And although uh, uh, the son or the daughter are just, uh, have just, are just 10 years, 12 years old, she can be trained to be a leader of uh, to uh, over a session of total relaxation. In the family, it is possible to have a small bell, and uh, every morning, when before we go to school or to work, we may sit down as a family and listen to the bell three times and enjoy breathing in and breathing out. We do not say, have a good day. We don't need to wish each other a good day because to begin with day with sitting quietly and listen to three sounds of the bell and enjoy nine in-breath, nine out-breath and smile. That is, uh, uh, the day is already uh, good in the beginning. And then uh, starting your car, uh, walking to the bus, uh, you do it in mindfulness, so you keep the practice. So a school teacher should be able to lead a session of total relaxation in class. And uh, she can train uh, the students to do so also. And they will take a turn to lead a session of total relaxation, maybe 10 minutes. Or five minutes. Five minutes is already good. So in a workplace, if you have uh, 10, 20 workers uh, under your command, and then you can you can offer a session of total relaxation for these workers. And as uh, as uh, as uh, school teachers. As a Sangha, uh, we can also do that. Because uh, if school teachers know how to release tension in their mind, in their body, they will be able to teach better and so on. So you release the tension in your body and you help release the tension in the body of the other people in your group. And when the tension is, is, is uh, released, the amount of pain in your body will be reduced because pain is a function of uh, tension. And then we learn how to, re- to, to recognize, uh, recognize a painful feeling, a painful emotions in us. Instead of trying to run away from your feeling of pain, 
uh, you know how to sit down or to lie down, uh, to breathe, to use uh, initial mindfulness, to embrace, to recognize, embrace your feeling. The way a mother would uh, hold her baby tenderly so that the baby suffer less. And you have to be able to do that. We have to learn how to handle a painful feeling, a painful emotion. Must, we should learn to master the techniques. And then if we know how to recognize our painful feelings and embrace it and get a relief, we can help another person to do so. So the school teachers also help the students how to do that every time. They are victim of uh, they they are overwhelmed with uh, a painful uh, painful emotion. They know how to do that. Many young people go and kill themselves because they do not how do not know how to handle a strong emotion. But that can be learned, and in a few sessions, they can master the art of handling a strong emotion, and they don't have to die anymore. Because uh, an emotion is just an emotion. You are much more than one emotion. So if you succeed in, uh, in uh, handling a strong emotion, and then next time when the emotion comes, you are not afraid because you know the practice. You have the practice. And you can transmit the practice to the young people also. So the school teacher has to know how to do it, and uh, they will have to teach the uh, students how to do it. The third thing we learn in our community, in our workplace, in the, in the classroom, is how to generate a feeling of joy, of happiness. Because we know that when we bring our mind home to our body and get established in the present moment, we recognize that we are very lucky. We are lucky, luckier than many, many people in the world. This morning I spoke uh, spoke of uh, uh, opening the water faucet. We want some water and we have water, whether it's cold or hot. But in many places where people do not have water like that, the water, the quality of the water, and they have to go many kilometers in order to fetch some water. Suppose you are about to have breakfast. You look at shadows and you smile and you pronounce a mantra, darling, don't you think that you are very happy? This is a happy moment. And that is true. We have gone through very difficult moments, and this is not a difficult moment. This is a happy moment. And we have so many moments like that in our daily life. We have to recognize them as happy moments. So we should learn that uh, mantra, darling, this is a happy moment. We are very lucky. Mindfulness allowed us 
to recognize that you are lucky. There are so many conditions of happiness that are available in the here and the now. And get in touch, you can re- uh, uh, generate a feeling of joy and happiness right away. So that is the third thing we, we learn. Uh, bring, bringing in a joyful, happy uh, feeling. The fourth is uh, how to listen with compassion. Listen with compassion. The second practice help you to listen to the pain in yourself. And if we we listen to the pain in ourselves and calm, calm down the pain in ourselves. And then listen with compassion to another person become possible, become easier. Recognize and embrace and listen to the painful feeling that bring you, that help you to understand the suffering in yourself so that you can later on listen with compassion to the suffering of another person. And the practice of uh, compassionate listening. And of course, uh, if you are a director of a company, and if you know how to listen to the suffering of your employees, that help your company to grow, that help with uh, help, uh, bringing happiness and relief into your company. If you are a, a school teacher, and if you can listen to the suffering of your students, you will help them to suffer less. And to to use love loving speech to restore communication. These these uh, to to practice are very crucial in. Uh, improving the quality of our relationship. Even if it has become difficult, it is possible to, to restore communication and to bring about reconciliation. And this should be taught in school so that uh, teachers and students can reconcile with each other and children and parents can reconcile with each other. And uh, we can call this uh, applied ethics. And this uh, should be, should be um, uh, should be brought into 
uh, our our life, the life of our family, and the life of our workplace. And you do not have to believe in a God. You be, you don't have to believe in any religion in order to learn and practice this. And uh, in Plum Village, uh, our Dharma teachers have been working to bring this uh, into uh, the classroom. And we have started this uh, in many countries. We have brought it into uh, uh, many schools. And uh, it is our conviction that uh, happy school teachers will be able to change society, to change the world. And parents are also a kind of school teachers. The family should be a school where the children can learn how to understand and how to love.